step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Vibrations of love. And some say love is a verb. But much deeper than that, love is a vibration. It is that energy that stirs the soul and opens up the heart. Vibrations of love call out to the divine that connects us with the beauty of life and the oneness of it all. I need not to say it with words, although it is always nice to hear, but greater still, feel it. 
vibrations of love lift me higher and I fill the empty spaces within the soul. It is the divine in its purest essence. It is me at the height of my being. I am vibrations of love. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Vibrations of Love on my latest album, Om Shanti, with Ricky Cage and myself. Is everyone doing well? What's been the latest? Have you been keeping yourself inspired and updated and rooted in that part of you that does the real work? No matter what you go through, you rise. My special guest today is Joshua Green. He's a renowned Holocaust scholar, filmmaker, and author whose biographies have sold more than half a million copies worldwide. His groundbreaking book on the Dachau war crimes, Justice at Dachau, The Trials of an American Prosecutor, has deemed riveting history writing at its best by Douglas Brinkley, presidential historian for CNN. His renowned work on survivor testimony, Witness Voices from the Holocaust was the basis of a future documentary for national PBS and chosen as one of the best Holocaust films by Facets Media. Joshua is a recipient of numerous awards for his books and films and sits on the board of Yale University Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies. He has served as Director of Strategic Planning for the United Nations Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders, but among his documentary films are Hitler's Courts, Betrayal of the Rule of Law in Nazi Germany, which aired on PBS, and Memory After Belson, The Future of the Holocaust Remembrance for Discovery. Currently, Joshua teaches mindfulness in the workplace for the Zarb School of Business at Hofstra University. He joins us today to discuss his new book, Unstoppable, Siggy B. Wilsig's Astonishing Journey from Auschwitz Survivor and Penniless Immigrant to Wall Street Legend. Joshua, welcome and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Oh, aren't you nice? I've been so looking forward to our discussion. Thank you for inviting mm-hmm. me. I have 
sat on many occasions and just thought about the atrocities that just happened a few decades ago and was so tense during the previous administration where so much of the tenant of this hate against a particular group of people was felt or it lingered in the air and we were dumbfounded that we were going through what could be another form of maybe a mental holocaust. How did you get involved with this particular area? How were you led into exploring and discerning this particular world of reality? For many years, I had been teaching in yoga studios and in educational environments. Uh, The philosophy behind the devotional culture of India, the bhakti culture, and too often people would come up to me and say, well, you're such a spiritual guy. How do you justify the horrors that took place in Europe 85 years ago? And I was very frustrated never having a good answer for them. If you believe in a benign, beneficent creation, the technical word for this dilemma is theodicy. You know, how do we rationalize evil in a God-centered universe? So an opportunity came up for me to exercise some of my filmmaking skills for the people at the Yale University Holocaust Video Archive back in 1999, I guess, so 23 years or something. And I can't say that I've puzzled out one of the great dilemmas of history, but I can say I'm a little bit closer to reconciling it. And the way I summarize it is by saying, when we turn away from our own true core nature, we can fall very, very far. And when we turn toward our true nature, we can soar very high. And what happens, it seems all too easy for us to sometimes just move away from our real nature and end up in a nature that creates so much harm. Based on your research and experience, why did average Germans so heartily support the Nazis and the Third Reich? How was Hitler able to use power and influence for such control over the minds of people? Well, you mentioned yourself a moment ago, if if we've learned anything from the past few years here in our own country, it's the power of demagoguery to uh, weaponize an entire population. We've learned how easily people are moved to violence when they are goaded by bitter and angerness and hatred. You may recall the footage of the rioters storming the Capitol building on January 6th and that one person wearing a sweatshirt with the words Camp Auschwitz and a death head insignia. Racism and anti-Semitism are at the heart of white supremacy and we're seeing a resurgence of that that's eerily, scarily reminiscent of conditions in Europe uh, back in the 1930s. I think, Sister Jenna, is that how I should call you? Shall I call you Sister Jenna? Absolutely. Sister Jenna, I think if there's an answer to that very vexing question, it's that it's a cold, cynical world out there, and we're beset with sadnesses. And people, I think, rightly ask themselves, Is there something that I've done wrong? Is it me? It must be someone else. I haven't visited these things upon myself. And we look for a scapegoat. We look for some 
cause to the, the tragedies of our own life. And so we, we look to the people who are most vulnerable, and very often they become the scapegoats for all of the world's tragedies. That's been the case of the Jews for centuries. It's been the case of African Americans here. It's been the, uh, There's just too many of them. There's just too, too, many, too yeah. many. The video archive at Yale University is preserving the human side of this inhuman era by videotaping testimonies from many who lived through the Nazi regime. Could you tell us a little bit about this work? The most powerful avenue for approaching the experiences of those who were there during the Nazi era is not paper documentation. It's said that papers don't bleed, statistics don't cry, but through the personal testimony and memories of people who lived through those dark times we can get a sense what it was like. Going back to the 1970s, there was a, a strong negative reaction to a series on national television called Holocaust, starring Meryl Streep, which was a very romanticized, fictionalized account of a love affair between a handsome young Nazi officer and a pretty young Jewish woman. And survivors living in the New Haven area, which is where Yale University is situated, were disturbed by that. And so they began videotaping one another, telling their own stories in their own words. And those original, I think, 25 hours or so of video were deposited at Yale. And that is how the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies began. This was long before Steven Spielberg started his Shoah Foundation project. Now there's about 10,000 hours or so of testimony in the Yale archive. I was privileged to work with them on doing documentary films of excerpts from survivor testimony. Amazing. You've got a new book out, Unstoppable, which is based on a true story, The Life of Sigi Wilsig. As one who has written volumes on the Holocaust, what about Sigi's story, Joshua? What makes it so unique that it captured your attention? Hmm. Yeah, that's the right question. I was done. I had written about a dozen biographies of Holocaust survivors and books on war crimes trials and some documentaries, and it was too dark. I just didn't want to have to deal with that anymore. And then one day the phone rang, and a voice at the other end, who I learned later was Sigi Wilsig's son, Ivan, said, I've read some of your books, and I've seen your films. You're the one. I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm like Neo in the Matrix? I mean, what do you mean I'm the one? He said, no, you're the one that's going to write my father's biography. I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, well, he was a, just a teenager when he was thrown into Auschwitz and he survived two years there. I said, Ivan, stop, stop. I'm sorry, I'm not the person to help you with this. I want the light. Now, I don't want darkness, I want the light. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. My father was a beacon of light. He was a beam of 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 light and goodness for every immigrant who ever came to America. And I did some research, and I found that he was not exaggerating. Siggy Wilde, who passed away in 2003, came here with nothing, as so many survivors did. And by the time he was finished, Pyre, in oil and banking with assets of more than $4 billion, <laughs> and I asked myself, how did he do that? <laughs> what did he do? 
And the answer was he enjoyed his life. He loved life. Never allow bullies to get him down. He had confronted the Gestapo. Everyone else was lightweight by comparison. There was a story about the shoelace that saved his life. Can you tell us about that? In January of 1945, the administrators of the Auschwitz concentration camp could hear the Russian army approaching from the east. And so in order to hide their crimes, they marched whoever remained of their prisoners out of Auschwitz into camps deeper inside. Auschwitz was in Poland, so they marched them into camps deeper inside Germany. And it was in freezing cold winter weather, and these poor prisoners were given rags to wear. Figgy, who was already emaciated and, and suffering from so many diseases, had wooden clogs that were tied together with shoelaces that deteriorated in the snow and then the sleet. Without shoes, you would get gangrene and you would die. Your body in the concentration camps didn't have enough resistance to fend off infections. So at night when they bedded down for the night, he thought, what do I do? What do I do? And he was a man of great faith and uh, later claimed that the answer that came to him was the hand of God. He saw that nearby there was this little sapling, a little birch tree. He went over and from the raggedy pocket of his shirt, he pulled out a spoon, which was the only possession that he had with him from Auschwitz. And using the edge of the spoon, he stripped bits of bark from the tree, rubbed them between his palms to warm them up, braided them, into lengths of bark string and tied them around his shoes and got up and very carefully tried to walk. And sure enough, the string held. So literally a thread of bark saved his life. That was an important takeaway for me. You know, we've been through so much despair. There's a thread. If you look for that thread, if you don't give in to the despair, you'll find a way out of the darkness. Yes, yes. Some of us go through such tragedy. And did Siggy suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder? Oh, my gosh, yes. Well, the term, of course, didn't make its way into the diagnostic manual until the mid-1980s. But he certainly suffered from stress and nightmares all his life. He would not allow his children to wear black leather coats, for example, when they came into Vogue because it reminded him too much of the the coats of the Gestapo. Or when they went on a vacation, his wife knew to alert their children, don't buy any pewter mugs when they went to Colonial Williamsburg, for example. Don't buy any souvenirs made of metal because they would remind their father of the vented tin cups that prisoners were given uh, in the concentration camps. He didn't allow his wife, Naomi, to mix foods when she cooked for them because it reminded them of him of the scraps. That was all that they had to eat in the camps. But he said something mind-blowing. This was in an interview he did for the Shoah archive. He said, I don't think I could live without my nightmares. The nightmares give me an ultra-realistic sense of the miracle of being alive and the difference between life and death. And he said, I would never sacrifice that, especially as a Jew. He said, I would never, never give that up. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? I can thing? understand that. I get that very much. Figgin began his career selling those neckties from the trunk of his car. In little more than a decade, rose to become the CEO of both publicly traded oil company and a bank with assets exceeding over $4 billion. What in a dream, like he said, I can't give up what I went through because then I get to see the marvel of my dream. What would Siggy want readers to take away from his life story? Well, first of all, I apologize. This is going to sound very self-serving, but if there's any reason to read his story, Unstoppable, it's that it'll make you feel good about being an American again. He said what he was able to do would not have been possible anywhere else in the world. He credited this country and the nobility of the character that American culture is intended to inculcate with any peace of mind or happiness or success that he knew in his life after the Holocaust. That's for one. He would want us to know that. I think he would also say... If I can do this, little shrimp of a guy, he stood less than five and a half feet short, and he said, if a flat-footed immigrant shrimp of a guy like me can come out of what I came out of and come to this country and realize my dreams, shouldn't you rethink the blessings that you have as well and make the most of them? I think he would want us to not give in to despair, I think he would want us to know that there are powers in the universe that will come to our aid if we ask them to. So beautiful. How have you personally been impacted by the work in this area? What's your message? This is going to sound a little corny, so I apologize. (laughs) I think I've been reminded what it means to love conditionally. I'm not referring to some romantic love in Ziggy's life. I'm referring to the love of his children, his son, Ivan, his daughter, Sherry, his other son, Alan. They have given of themselves so utterly to this project. I really can't claim the credit for this book without sharing that with them. They have so much love and admiration for their father to have gone through what he went through and to become the kind of man he was. He had thousands of employees, Sister Jenna. Let me just give you an example. You couldn't get an appointment with him. <laughs> the president could get an appointment with him. You know, the head of the Federal Reserve could get an appointment. It was very difficult for just anybody to get an appointment. But if he saw or heard that somebody was in trouble, he would put everything else aside. It didn't matter what it was, business meetings, board meetings, whatever, never matter how much money was on the line. If he saw that somebody was coughing, for example, a teller in one of his bank branches or a secretary, he'd go over. He'd say, what's the matter? Why are you coughing? And he would send them with his sister, who was the head of the hospital. Or if he heard that an employee's son, this is a real story, that the son was suicidal, he would go and sit with him and say, what's happened? Why are you feeling this way? let him know that somebody cared. His children admired him so much, not just for having been a big success. I mean, there are a lot of big successes out there. They're not all of the kind of humanness that their father, Siggy Wilsig, was. I've learned something about love for one's parents and admiration for noble character. I think that was very important for me. Beautiful, beautiful. It's been great hearing your story, Joshua. I'd like to have you back on air 
first to go more in-depth with your work. I think it's fascinating, and I appreciate your definitely your energy that you've put into this. Leave us with a best website that our listeners can get in touch with you. Oh, certainly. Unstoppable Siggy. <laughs> Siggy is spelled S-I-G-G-I. So unstoppablesiggy.com would be the place to go to learn more about the book. And my name is Joshua M. Green, with an E at the end, dot info. Thank you. You're the best. Stay safe. You're so kind. Thank you very much for inviting me. Beautiful. I want to go deeper into Joshua's work. I think we came way too close to repeating the atrocities of the Holocaust. And even though we're supposed to be so evolved, Look at how close we got, and we're still not out of the woods. That energy still exists, and there are individuals who are living at this particular time everywhere in the world who feel that their race, their religion, their culture is superior, and that perhaps certain people aren't needed anymore in the story of the planet. And we have to stop that. Um, There is an opening and an acceptance of so many of all of us, different shades, colors, genders, choices, everything. It's a time for acceptance. Why? Not that I'm accepting you because of what you do or what you are, but the acceptance is saying, let me see you as a soul and let me communicate with you as a soul. And then we understand our karmas are our karmas. And we have to sort those out for ourselves. Nobody can do it for us. So if I've got some stuff that I have to carry in me that I don't even know how to handle, I come in front of you, I just want you to accept me with love. And I feel if we can somehow amplify that awareness of the importance of acceptance, not that you have to agree with everyone, but I accept you and I see you and I'm going to communicate with you at a soul-to-soul level and I know you've got cleaning up to do and I've got cleaning up to do, then we won't have history like this. We came way too close this time and we're still not out of the woods. Start to look at each other with soul-conscious love and talk to each other with soul-conscious love and make decisions from soul-conscious love in history and doesn't have to repeat itself. Thank you for joining us on America Meditating Radio. Hope that you enjoyed your conversation with the wonderful and beautiful Joshua Green. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Let's try and do that more, huh? So here's Paul Leftenegger. It's only love. Enjoy. Be well. Take care.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.